Okay, young people are heading out. Lord, we open your word. Which would you please help us to open our hearts and minds to so we can receive with meekness, it says, your engrafted word, or like babies who receive the, the milk from their mother, we want to receive your word from you. We want it to affect us, to empower us, to change us, to group us. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher here today, we pray. Amen. The main burden of both of Paul's letters to the Thessalonians is dealing with false teaching and expectations about the return of the Lord Jesus. What is called in Hebrew, Hebrew, Greek, the parousia. It's the arrival of the king. It's a specific term, meaning when the king arrives at a town or city. And his faithful people greet him and his enemies are about to be judged. That's, that's, that's what that term is about. And these letters tell us that Christians are called not to be sky gazers and sign watchers or date setters, but to live at all times in readiness for the appearing of the Lord. And here is how the letters end. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify means to make holy. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound, whole, and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brothers, pray for us also. Paul never failed to ask for prayer. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Uh, you can have a nice handshake if you prefer. So. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The end of 2 Thessalonians and his three chapters. May the Lord, but you notice it's the same thought. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with all of you. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. This is a sign in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Did you notice a word that occurs there a number of times? It's the word peace. Peace is the final outcome. It's the destination. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Peace is within God. It's an essential attribute of the Godhead. God is at peace within himself. He is whole. There's no disturbance. There's no, there's no fretting. There's no worry. There's no stress because he's all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful. How could he not be at peace? There are no shocks or surprises for God. He works all things according to his own will and purpose. That doesn't mean he can't be disappointed or grieved. But nothing takes him by surprise. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are joined in such mutual love that between them there is peace. And their enjoyment of one another is called what? Joy. Love, joy, peace are not just things that happen, they flow from the God who is within himself, full of love and joy and peace between the members of the Godhead. And the goal of God, working by his grace through the good news of Jesus Christ, 
is to bring us into his presence, into his community, into his love and joy and peace. And if you read through John's gospel, I haven't got time to pick up the scriptures today, through and, and look for those words, love and joy and peace, coming from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. You'll see again and again how he speaks of the relationship that exists between himself and the Father and that we are invited in and drawn in to enjoy what they have. That the love that I have, that the joy that I know, that the peace that I have may be in you and with you. Read them again and again and again. Jesus is pointing to what exists between him and the Father and inviting us to join and to enjoy. Our destiny is to know the love and joy and peace of God through the Son forever. But we can know at least some of God's love and peace and joy now before the end of the age and before the eternal kingdom. And so, Paul is not just throwing words around, he says, may the God of peace give you peace, at all times, in all situations. But there is a process by which we pursue knowing the peace of God. And the process and path to peace is this, sanctification. We who have been called saints, by God, through his sovereign grace, learn to live as saints. A saint is not some alabaster or stone figure in a church with a funny plate around the head. It's you and me. Every Christian. In the same sense that we are called the children of God and we're growing up to be the children of God, we are called saints and are growing up to be what we're called. In the context of being prepared for the Lord's coming, we might have thought that the last thing Paul wants to talk about, the final word, the kind of the big impact, you know, the, this, is, this is like now, the last thing I want to say to you is this, right? We might have thought it's go and serve the Lord or go and evangelize the nations. But the last thing he mentions and the point of the whole of these two letters, and John as well and others, is this, sanctification. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. May he preserve your whole body, soul, and spirit, blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Of course service is important. Of course evangelism is important. But in this context of being prepared for the Lord's appearing, the issue is, the central issue, the most important issue is sanctification. We are not converted and can stay the same until Jesus comes or until we die. That's not the deal. It's not an offer. Uh, thank you very much. I'll just be the same as I am now and wait for heaven. This is uh, from 2 Thessalonians earlier on. God's purpose. Look at this. But we must always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Notice Spirit and truth, those two working together, we'll see it again in a little while, to bring about our sanctification. Salvation through sanctification. 
said it before. It's not, you know, people say, oh, wise man, John Santamo, we would have said this. This has been said for centuries, friends. We are saved, bought and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, as we say. We are being saved. The grace of God is continuing to be at work in us to bring about change and cleansing in us. That's called sanctification. And we will be saved because we will be taken to be with our Lord, to enter into his eternal home. For that final destiny, this is not just going to heaven when you die. This is resurrection and future glory. So I'm going to call that glorification. It doesn't happen when you die and go to be Jesus now. It happens when we all hit the resurrection day together and we all become like Jesus as a physical being, in physical being. Glorification. That's God's purpose. He called you to this. He called you to what? Conversion, sanctification, glorification, to this great salvation, but this great salvation works through sanctification. It's the middle part of the process. And he called you to this through the gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus returns, we will be resurrected. We'll be renewed. We'll be glorified human beings. Before then, our whole being, which Paul describes there as spirit, soul, and body, is to be progressively sanctified. It's not done in a moment. People used to say, you know, think that there was a kind of a, a coming of the Holy Spirit, that that's it, you're perfectly sanctified with that experience. Well, I know lots of us who are Pentecostals and speak in tongues and prophets and all sorts of things, and I tell you, we are still not perfect. All right? That's not the deal. But sanctification is an ongoing process. We're to be kept sane. Let me say something about spirit, soul, and body. Scholars waste many words debating whether a human being is made up of two parts or three. I say waste because the, actually the Bible often uses the word soul and spirit interchangeably. In Revelation, the souls in heaven, that is to say the departed Christians, the martyrs particularly, waiting for the end of the age, waiting for the Lord's final vindication, waiting for their resurrection. You know, they're praying and they're calling on the Lord. and, and You know, they're called souls. In Hebrews... Same picture, those in heaven who are, you know, pictured as having gone before us are called the spirits of just men made perfect. Well, which is it? Make up your mind. Both are true. That's the way the Bible uses the words. Soul in scripture is often used to mean the whole person, not just a bit of a person. Have you ever heard the expression SOS? They used to do it with Morse code, now they do it with radio. SOS, do you know what it stands for? Save our souls. So what do they want? A preacher like me to come on the phone and tell them how to get saved before they die? Or do they want to be saved alive? Save our souls means saved alive, not just get me ready for heaven because I'm about to die. Soul is person. Yet the Bible does speak about an outward being, an outward man, excuse me ladies, that's inclusive, and an inner man. An outward and an inner, a physical being and a non-physical being. And that non-physical being is often called spirit, sometimes called soul, and you think, well, make up your mind. No, that's just the way the Bible does it. And when your spirit leaves your body, you're dead. That's the biblical definition of death, not heart beating or brain functioning. It's, you know, the body without the spirit is 
dead. Because your person has left the body and been taken to account before the Lord. So that inward person, that inward man may be described as soul or spirit and the Bible uses those differently in different times. Uh, some people make a lot of this, this and uh, Watchman Nee wrote a book about the normal Christian life and he, and he defined these three. It's going beyond scripture. The scripture doesn't go there. It's not cut and dried like that. It tends to use interchangeably. And you only find a few scriptures where spirit and soul about us, not about the Lord or about the Holy Spirit are used, but about us are used. Four of them in the Old Testament, which are Hebrew parallels, my soul, my spirit. When Hebrew poetry says something, then says it again. It's like da di da di da da di da di da. Yeah? And it's, it repeats the same thought, but in different words. So four times in the Old Testament, you get people saying, my spirit magnifies the Lord, my soul rejoices in God. And when you get to Luke, you've got Mary doing the same thing. It's a Hebrew way of speaking. Mary said when the angel had appeared to her and you know, she was conceiving Jesus, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You could say, well, it's, 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 it's like my mind and my heart. Yeah, you could say that if you like, but it's actually saying the same thing. Deep within me, I'm rejoicing in God, soul and spirit. Then you get 1 Thessalonians, we've just read, and the seventh is this one. This is a tough scripture. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. I was talking to Colin and to Joe about this earlier. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. Big double-edged sword, very, very sharp, like a samurai sword maybe. And it's going to divide. Now, I said to both to Jack, to, not to Jack, to Joe and to Colin this morning, do you want your bone marrow divided from your marrow? They went, ooh, not really. <laughs> That's a bloody destructive stroke by a sharp instrument that it actually exposes the marrow from the bone. That's the picture that's being given to us, folks. And he says the word of God can do that, but doesn't cut you apart. It divides you inside and discerns what's going on. That's a fierce scripture. The image being used of, of you know, this, this, this sword stroke that chops a body part off. And the point there is bone and marrow are made to be together and are not normally divided except by some destructive, violent force or action. And it's the same in us. There are things that work in us which are not normally divided. You can't separate them. But God's word will discern what's going on within us at times. And that, my friends, is not always a comfortable experience. When we, need, when, we, when we realize that what's going on in here has been exposed, revealed. But we should rejoice in being brought to the light. So, a human being is not a spirit temporarily contained in a body. Now, that, you hear that very popularly, and many Christians will say that. That is Greek philosophy which when it infected the church became the name Gnosticism. It's commonly restated by many Christians today. Here's a few phrases. One's from a gospel record we've got at home, and it, right, I grind my teeth every time I hear the guy say this. You're not a physical being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a physical experience. You've ever heard something like that? It's error. Error. It's false doctrine. That's error. 
You're a human being with a physical being and a non-physical being in one being, one human. How about this one? Someday we will leave the physical realm forever and be spirit beings. <laughs> Floating in the universal ether, you know. You, Christian so-called spiritualists talk like that as well, but some charismatics do too, and even some Pentecostals. That is error. It's Greek philosophy. We have nothing to do with that. If the goal of our faith is to be liberated from matter and be only spirit, why did Jesus rise from the dead? And why is he going to raise us from the dead? It's utterly pointless if that's our eternal destiny. That is not our eternal destiny. We are going to be glorified human beings just like Jesus today is raised from the dead. Generally, in the Bible, this is what these words mean. Soul means person. Your identity, your person. Spirit is your inner non-physical being. And body, of course, is your physical being. And it goes right back to this, Genesis 2, verse 7. I've used the King James Version here. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He made him a, a physical being, didn't he? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He gave him a non-physical being by, his, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Spirit begat spirit. And the man became a living soul, a living person. Biblical definition of a living person is a body with a spirit working together, alive, and really alive to God. That's how God made man. That's what Jesus became in his incarnation, fully man, yet continuing to be fully God. In the resurrection, we shall be whole yet perfect people patterned on Jesus. What Paul is saying in Thessalonians is saying the whole of you. You know, he could have said mind and heart. He's saying the whole of you, you're f both physically and internally, to be ready, to be blameless, to be whole, to be healthy, to be clean, ready for the coming of the Lord. And he's praying it. And he's saying that God will do that. God will do that. God wants us to be holy, to be clean on the inside and on the outside. Now again, an old error says, since my spirit is holy, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. Rubbish! We will give account for the deeds done in the body. What we do with our bodies matters. That's why the New Testament scriptures talk to us. Not Old Testament law. New Testament scripture talks to us about sexual morality, gluttony, drunkenness, laziness, because we will give account to God for the deeds done in and with our body. Notice how Paul writes to the Romans as he concludes his letter. I, therefore, brothers... He's, he's sorry, doesn't get to the end of the letter, but he gets to his end of his big treatise on the grace of God. Romans, you know, 5, well, 3, even right through to chapter 11. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies. Notice it doesn't say spirits. I'll send my spirit. My body's going to be doing this instead. No, -uh. No way. Present your bodies because then the rest of you has to come. 
Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your, now nearly every Bible translation is spiritual there. It's a wrong translation. The word there is logical, logical. It's your rational, your reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this age, to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Present your bodies and everything else that comes with it, your soul, your spirit, to the Lord. And don't become like the world around you. You belong to him. You don't belong there. In this next famous text, loving the Lord is about inward and physical devotion. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, deep within, with all your soul, with all your person, with all your mind, with all your faculties, and with all your strength. It's good to be physical about devotion to God. That's why raising hands and kneeling and dancing or doing the little gospel shuffle we do sometimes. Um, being physical about your devotion to God and Christ. It, it's good. It's good. We are not just about doing something, oh, it's deep in my heart, it's deep in my heart, it's deep in my heart. Oh, for goodness sake, put it out somewhere, would you? Put it out there. Give expression to it. You know? A human being is a person or soul with an outer part body and an inner part spirit. Our whole being belongs to the Lord. In Adam, he made us that way. In Christ, he has redeemed us as whole beings. And by the Holy Spirit, he's sanctifying us. And through the coming and power of God in our Lord Jesus, he will one day glorify us. So we have more in Christ than Adam ever lost, as uh, Charles Wesley once wrote it. Sanctification is the work of God in us. We read in 1 Thessalonians, the work of God in us. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Every area of your being, every area of your life. That's the prayer. And the minute I say that, you know, different ones of us are thinking of the, the screens we've put up. No, no, that, that, that's, that's over there. That's not, that's not part of this. Sanctify you completely. May your whole being, spirit, soul, body, be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Paul's already written like this two chapters before. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There he's talking about what's inward, heart. But then he goes on to say the whole of you. Heart, it tends to start with the heart, doesn't it? With stirrings, with drawings, with feelings, with, with convictions. Yeah? You're drawn, you're pulled, you, you feel this pull, and, and, and you, have, you need to follow it because that's the work of the Spirit. So it often starts with the heart, but it actually involves the whole of me. God is faithful to complete the work that has begun in us. Philippians 2, sorry, 1, and says... And two, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on. This is this ongoing salvation. Will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He who's begun a good work in you will keep on working in you. 
And then it says in 2.13, for it's God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire this heart thing and to work out in reality, physical reality, his good purpose. The grace of God was set upon us before the world was made, but in our experience, this is how we experience and know the grace of God. Our conversion, the day that the light got switched on, the day that we began to believe, we began to turn away from sin and wickedness, and we found ourselves believing, and, and, and this is true, this is real. Conversion is the grace of God commenced. These are my C's, okay. Sanctification between now and heaven is grace continued. And glorification will be grace completed. God will have finished his work in each of his children. I looked for a video for backup, preach kind of thing. I thought of, you know. So I searched in all the places we usually get and find and buy videos for use here at Lighthouse. And I looked for holiness. Apart from holiness of God, nothing. I looked for sanctification. Nothing anywhere. Which tells me what? This is a very neglected part of the truth of the gospel. It just doesn't appear on the radar. People seem to think that being a Christian is being converted. Heaven! What about in between? (laughs) I'm sorry. Don't we have a life to live? Don't we have a purpose? This, my friends, is God's purpose, that we be sanctified completely. Not only one dollop from heaven, but through a process of change, of cleansing, of ongoing learning, being examined by Scripture, finding that sword coming at times that opens us up. Oh my goodness, look what's going on in there. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit of God through the truth of God, the Word of God. We've read it already today. But I want you to notice that Jesus prayed for this, this wonderful prayer in John 17, his high priestly prayer for his church. He calls on the Father and says to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Lord, make them holy through showing them truth. I sanctify myself for them, he says. He's going to the cross, remember. Hours from now, he's going to the cross. I sanctify myself for them. So they also may be sanctified by the truth. The truth is enormously important if we're going to be changed into the image of Jesus. It's God's chosen process of progressively cleansing us and making us holy. Paul, leaving the Ephesian elders, says to them, I commit you to God and to the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are, he doesn't even use the word saved there, he says sanctified. Because actually, cooperating with the sanctifying work of the Spirit gains us inheritance. It gains us reward. Not cooperating means we forsake reward. I'll stay the same as I am. Okay, don't, don't, don't think about reward then. Because we'll be rewarded for having cooperated to produce character through sanctification. And in Ephesians 5, 
where Paul overlaps church and bride and wife and husband, and it, you know you have to kind of be careful what you don't say there because it gets a bit tacky if you get it wrong. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water. You think, we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Yes, that's true. That justified us. That made us acceptable to God. But guess what? We are now continuing to be washed by the water of the word. There's a washing that continues. There's a process of change that we're to be engaged in called sanctification. And Jesus does it through the word. It's the truth that sanctifies us. God's word coming to us, cleansing us, changing us, conforming us to be more like Jesus, our master. Therefore, let me give you some three E's now. I'm in David mode today. Every one of us to engage in this process of the ongoing grace of God. We must be exposed to God's word. You can read it. You can listen to it. You can hear it on a Sunday, though you also need to be examining your Bible, hearing or listening as well. We, part of godly conversation, Christians fellowship it together, we're sharing the scriptures, we're, we're encouraging one another, we're correcting one another, challenging one another sometimes. We need to expose to God's word. We need the input. Wasn't it Spurgeon who said, some Christians have enough dust on their Bibles to write the word damnation on it. <laughs> you know, take it down, read it. Get online and listen to it. But you must be exposed to God's word. We must embrace, welcome and receive God's word. I'm, I'm appalled myself at how often I look at something and think, my goodness, have I read that before? Well, I have, but I haven't noticed it. I haven't paid attention to that verse. Now, sometimes that's the work of the Spirit that he brings a verse to your attention. He impacts you with it, but you need to take note when he does. You must embrace what you see, what's brought to your attention. You must receive it, welcome it. Yes, Lord, thank you. I receive your word. I, I, I have a notebook down there, loose, loose, loose leaf notebook. It's, I call it a journal, if you like. People talk about journaling. Whatever I see, whatever strikes me, I write it down. I write out that verse, if all three verses or whatever. I write it down. And then I write my, what, I, what that, I, I sense that is saying to me, what God is saying to me through Scripture. And I'm not special. I mean, many, many, many people do that. But it helps to receive it. It helps to embrace it. It helps to capture it. To write it down. And thirdly, we must then enact, obey, practice God's word. Whatever he says to you, do it. There's no blessing in knowing. There's only blessing for doing. In fact, if we're accountable for what we know, then the bad news is you can know it and not do it, and you're accountable for not doing what you knew. I'm paraphrasing Jesus, and I'm not going to go to the scripture because I'll take too long. If we make no use of Scripture in our daily way of life, then, then I don't think we can say we are living for the Lord. We're not open to the ongoing process of his salvation, that which happens between conversion and glorification. Sanctification. Sanctification is the work of God. He started, he's going to do it. 
And that's why sometimes we have uncomfortable times because God's still at work to produce something in us. And the more, how many of you know the more you resist, the harder it is? I've done that many times. You know, it's easy to, I'm yours, Lord, I'm yours, Lord. Go next day, no, 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 no. That's when, get, that's when things get hard. Sanctification is God's work in us, but it's also our responsibility. The scriptures place a responsibility, a duty upon us to pursue this, to receive it, to embrace it, to pursue it. Let me go back to Philippians 2. We just read it, God works in us. Let me give you the context, the rest of it. I'm being sneaky. So then, my dear friend, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation. This is in the process of sanctification. It's not, you know, you, you, you're no longer justified, you're no longer a child of God. No, you are those things because of what Christ has done for you and because you've trusted him. But there is an ongoing process of change, of growing in salvation, which the Bible calls sanctification. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Work out this salvation with fear and trembling, awe and concern. You know, you're concerned about things. You, you take care about things. For it is God who is working in you. God's working in you, so you work it out. Get, get grips with it. Put it into action. And he enables you both to desire, often starts in the heart. He enables you to desire and to work out his good purpose. God's at work in us so that we desire to do his good purpose and then we actually go and do it. The grace of God doesn't wrap us up in cellophane or cling film on the day we're converted and we can stay that way till we enter, the, enter heaven. We're to continue in the grace of God, learning and growing. Here's a description of the Christian life in two, Titus 2. The grace of God has appeared with salvation, making that salvation available, in other words, for all people. Instructing us, those who believe, instructing us to deny ungodliness, or godlessness, sorry, and worldly appetites. Again, lust is an old word, and people think about only sexual desire when we see the word lust. It means every human appetite. Every human appetite. Uh, food, drink, comfort, you know, uh, being comfortable and sneak, uh, having a snuggy time. Control those things. And to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. The time to live for God is now, not when we die. While we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yes, Paul says exactly that. Even in the Greek, it's that what he says. Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. By the way, that's what the Roman emperors were calling themselves at that time. So Paul is very specific. He said, Jesus is our great God and Savior. This life, now, we're instructed by the grace of God, through the word of God. We're instructed by the grace of God to live a life which is different from the rest of this world. And that's not just by picking and choosing a do and don't list. It's by pursuing what is sensible and righteous and godly and pleasing to him. There's a connection between how we choose to live now 
and whether or not we're waiting appropriately for the coming of our Lord Jesus. You see, the picture that the Thessalonians had and the picture that was sold to me when I was a younger man was, we've got to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Is it today? Is it, is it oh, what's happening over there? Oh, what's that sign over there? Oh, oh. You live in readiness for the Lord Jesus by cooperating with the Spirit of God and the grace of God and the Word of God by receiving truth and being changed by it so your life keeps being more and more conformed to Jesus. Sanctification. And that is partly our responsibility, responding to the grace of God. We are stewards of both our inner man and outer man. We're to be disciplined in how we treat our bodies, how we handle those appetites, food, drink, exercise, rest. We're to have good discipline in that, and if we're not disciplined in that, then we get the comeback. There's a payoff, isn't there? You know, eat too much, exercise too little. It costs us in the end. We're to have good discipline too for our inner man. Things like prayer, reading, fellowship. Fellowship in small groups particularly because we don't fellowship much on a Sunday. We're commanded in Scripture to grow. Just as God said to Abraham, be fruitful and multiply. So the Bible says to us, go and grow. Grow. In fact, again, talking with Jack, Joe. I must get this right. Sorry, Jack, I didn't see Jack. Sorry, Joe. Adam was made perfect and yet he wasn't made finished because Adam was planted to grow. He had the opportunity to get to know God more and more and to govern the earth better and better. He had capacity to grow. And listen, my friend, you are not a finished Christian, but you have capacity to grow because God made you for that. And God has equipped you by his grace through the gospel of Christ for that. That having been given what you've received, you can grow. And the scriptures say to us again and again, grow. Let me use Paul's, Paul's Peter's letters here. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk of God's word. In other words, so that you may grow by it for your salvation. Desire the truth so that you may grow. Jesus said you'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. And that's just a one-off thing either. That happens again and again. Even in conversation, the number of times that, you know, somebody comes to me and says, I've just seen this in the scripture. I say, yeah, yeah, you're right. And they go, yeah, but, you know, and I'm thinking, I kind of know that already, but they just knew it. They just got it. That's why they're excited. The truth has done something that's liberated them. They're excited because they've encountered the truth and they've seen it. We need to desire the pure word of God so we grow by it. I'm going to read this to you. It's slightly longer. 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Everything we need. The minute I say that, you're thinking about something that you need at home. No, no, no. We're not talking about possessions. We're talking about uh, the, the realities of the Spirit and grace of God. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, by these he's given us very great and precious promises, so that through them, through the promises of Scripture, through the Word of God, we 
may share in the divine nature, become more and more like Jesus, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. That's the same word that gets translated lust sometimes. For this very reason, you've been given everything you need. You have these great and precious promises. So here's the punchline. For this reason, make every effort. How many of us want Christianity to be effortless? If it ain't easy, I'm not interested. Jesus never said being a Christian was going to be easy. Did he? No, 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 Pastor, no, he didn't. So for this very reason, because you've received everything you need, because you've received great and precious promises from God himself, make every effort. We're not used to hearing this language. What effort? I, I didn't sign up to, be, to make effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affliction, affection, not affliction, affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, if you're growing in the knowledge of God and the grace of God, you're growing in sanctification, which is what those things are about, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted. I'm not sure whether, how that both works. but And has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers, sisters, inclusive language, make every effort. There's that word again. Oh, that's an uncomfortable word, isn't it? We, we, do, do we like that word? We better, we'd learn to. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. These the doctrines of sovereign grace that I love. Called and elected by God before he made the world. He gave Christ to be our saviour. Make that sure, certain. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. And in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you you will have a rich welcome. You will have a reward on the last day. If you do these things, if you make this effort, and to Peter, similar comment from Peter, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The evidence of the grace of God at work in us is that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We should be eager, if we're eager to see the Lord, that should drive us to pursue sanctification and holiness. And here's where John says it. 1 John 3. Dear friends, we're God's children now. Does that get a hallelujah or an amen? amen. Do you believe you're a child of God? Yes. Nothing I'm saying doubts that. Do you understand? Nothing I'm saying doubts that. We are now God's children. And what we will be has not yet been revealed, except we've got a glimpse that we'll be like Jesus. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him, because we'll see him as he is. But here's the, the bit. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let me put that in some very plain English. I don't think there's hardly a one of us this morning who doesn't have a hope of heaven. 
but how many of us have even a thought about getting ready for heaven? If you're going on holiday, you pack. You check the weather. You buy the euros. You know, if you find out if they got mosquitoes, then you t- we, we didn't this time. We were caught out. We didn't take our anti-mosquito things, and so there were mosquitoes everywhere. But never mind. You prepare. Well, we sing our gospel song. I'm going up yonder. I'm going up yonder. Yes, we are. Guess what? We've got a journey to take and preparation to make. To be ready for that day, whether it's the day of the Lord's appearing or the day of my personal death. To be ready. To be ready. He who has this hope in the Lord purifies himself. There are at least three other scriptures in the New Testament that talk about us cleansing or purifying ourselves. You say, I thought God did that. Yes, he does, but we cooperate. What he challenges us about, we get cleansed of. Now, I'm, I'm Reformed, as you know, I'm a, what people generally call a Calvinist, but like, let me say again, once saved, always saved is a very poor way of stating a great doctrine of the grace of God. It's a very poor way of saying it. Let me tell you what I believe. Those whom the Lord preserves, persevere. He does the preserving, we do the persevering. And that's the sign, the evidence of God's grace still at work in us. Not grace received, done, finished, hey, hallelujah, I'll wait for heaven now. Grace still at work. God still at work by the Spirit of God, through the grace of God and the Word of God. God's still at work in us. He's at work in you. Danger, God at work. Gets messy at times, you know, blood and bone and ooh. Those whom the Lord preserves, persevere. Let me put that in simpler language again. He keeps the saints. He keeps his children. Not one of them will be lost, but they keep the faith. And that's the sign, in the end, that they are his children. That they have kept the faith. Finally, you were waiting for that word, weren't you? Those who pursue sanctification, who pursue holiness, for themselves and by God's grace, lovingly engaging with their brothers and sisters to encourage, support, and sometimes challenge them too. When we pursue these things, we are pursuing peace. As we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and encourage our brothers and sisters to do the same, we pursue what pleases the Lord and what produces peace. There's a saying that the devil makes work for idle hands. You know one? Paul certainly in those letters, Thessalonian letters, warns those who are idle, lazy, complacent. We must continue to pursue faith, obedience, growth, maturity, fruitfulness in this life as long as the Lord gives us this life. And by the way, some of you are getting on in years, but you know what? When we get to Daniel, the last few chapters of Daniel, he was over 80 when those things happened. (laughs) I ain't letting you off. I ain't giving you an excuse. The Bible tells us not just to accept sanctification or whatever, but to pursue it. To pursue them. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. 
says Hebrews. Good outcomes need to be pursued, whether it's losing weight, gaining qualification, getting fitter, or growing in faith and obedience to Christ. You have to pursue these things. Make every effort. They don't just happen. They don't get delivered to your door by Amazon. You have to go after them. Some of us are, you know, some of them, people are even doing now, lecturing their kids. If you don't work now, you won't get this. That is true in every area of life. If we make no effort, there's no reward. There's no payback. There's no, we, don't, we don't get what we, what we want in life. The Christian path is an uphill way. Proverbs 15, verse 24. I love this verse. I just remembered it the other day. For the discerning, for the wise, the path of life leads upward. So he may avoid going down to Sheol. How many of you, when you're driving, like when it's downhill and you can just, yeah, just coast downhill? In biblical language, downhill is bad news, man. Downhill is always But how many of you know going uphill takes effort? The right path for us is always uphill. It will require effort on our part. And I think it's far too long since we preachers challenged every one of us to make the effort that the Bible tells us to. To grow. To change. To go on to maturity. To actually pursue this progressive change, which is sanctification. And it isn't that we are changing ourselves. We're being changed by the grace of God and the Spirit of God through the Word of God, but we are cooperating with it and putting in our effort, our response. If you're on the right path, it will always be uphill. Our path is upward, and going uphill takes effort. And on the path, and I'm extending the metaphor here, there are obstacles. you know why there are obstacles? So that you can be an overcomer. You can step through it, jump over it, work around it, whatever it is it takes to get through that obstacle and keep on your journey. When we pursue holiness and the fear of God, personally and encourage our brothers and sisters to do the same we're in pursuing peace let me read you the last bit of those letters again <sighs> finish by then i've shortened the bits of paul's greetings just leave you with these things now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely but that's a process not a not, not an event and may your spirit soul and body be kept sound whole wholesome clean and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. The grace, because it's all by grace, of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Can we pray together?
I'll try this morning to, to show you something about this thing, the living by the grace of God is not the lazy way. It's, the, it's an extraordinarily challenging way, but everything you need is provided to you. Every bit of grace you need to comply with God's instructions, to hear his word and respond positively and, 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 and put it into practice. There's no lack on his part. He's provided everything we need. But our mindset needs to embrace the fact that we are those who partner with God. We are responsible beings who he speaks to and he's waiting for a response. And sometimes it's, Lord, help me. That's fine. That's fine. But it's an honest response to God's instructions that calls upon him for his grace so that we can then go and do what he's asked us to do, what he's told us to do. So I want to take a few moments now for us all to lay hold again of the grace of God. Thank him for grace that saved us from where we were. Saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, and I'm found, was blind by now. Say, thank God for that converting grace but recognize again clearly today for every one of us the same grace that began something in us is still at work to pursue it through. We're on a process of continuing salvation, which the Bible calls sanctification. And to put that very, very simply, we don't just go to heaven when we die. God is making us ready to be with him. He's preparing us for his presence. And that will take place in every bit of our lives if we will receive it and embrace it as being God's purpose for us. Father in heaven. Father in heaven. Thank you for sovereign grace. Calling, electing, giving us to Christ. He, the Lamb of God, pouring out his body and blood for us. But Lord, you began something. And for many of us here today, we can remember the day when that began, when we began to believe, because your grace had come and found us. We thank you for that day. Bottom of our hearts, we thank you. You found us. You made us alive. But now we have a life. A life which is to be lived by your grace for your glory. And that means that we who are no, nowhere near perfect have things to pursue. And you call us on. You call us to growth. You call us to change. You call us to new measures of cleansing where maybe some things we've have not been touched for a long time. You begin to touch them. And our response is again, oh yes, Lord, amen. By your grace, help me, Lord. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It exposes the deep things of our hearts at times. What can we do but say to you, Lord, as David did, cleanse me, O God. Renew a right heart or spirit within me. 
You tell us, Lord, to be holy because you are holy. One day we will live in your holy, burning presence. And you want us to be ready for that day. So that we enter your presence with joy and find there our peace. We're not discomforted by your holiness because we've already learned to embrace it here now. Father in heaven, continue to teach us and help us. Help us to grow in the knowledge of God. Help us to grow in the grace of God. Help us to grow in obedience. The yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we sing so heartily at times. Help us to grow in character. And it's in the circumstances of life so often that you are shaping our character, especially in the things which cross us, which challenge us. That you are more concerned with our character than our comfort in producing in us what will satisfy your heart, which is to make us perfect human beings. For now, there's only one, and his name is Jesus, but you're going to make us more and more like him. Thank you, Father, in the name of our blessed Lord Jesus. Amen. We've got time to break bread. I know I've preached a long time, but we do have time to break bread. The young people aren't in here yet. So we need some people, four people to serve, please, as we break bread. Let me just say that I want us to have opportunity to pray with you or for you as well. So um, while you're going over there or over there to break bread, if you'd like to, someone to pray with you, please come and stand in the middle here with us and Carol will come and help me. I'll grab Colin if necessary or someone else and we'll pray with you this morning. Could be for some other reason. I mean, I wouldn't mind someone praying for my ear and my throat. That's, I'm up for that. Yeah, go ahead, please. <laughs>